We live in a world where people are told that they're a result of a meaningless, random process called evolution. Their lives are a result of nothing more than a series of convenient accidents, and as a result, men and women are driven to the conclusion that their lives have no meaning or purpose. The ramifications of this thinking are catastrophic, and they result in a long progression of disappointments, and that's all that life is. The truth of Scripture, though, is exactly the opposite. Psalm 139 tells us, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there was none of them. What happens when you discover the God of the universe has made you and has a plan for your life. My guest on this episode has much to share about this very thing. Hello, disciples, and welcome to the Creator's Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Matson, and I have as my guest on this episode, Deb Herbert. Now, Deb is an equine artist whose boldness for the Lord is reflected in the boldness in her work. Discovering that her life had purpose, given by God, was a turning point in her life, and it changed everything. And Deb has some exciting encouragement for us right now. Deb Herbert, welcome to the Creator's Calling Podcast. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, brother. Oh, man. You've got so much wonderful things to share. I, uh, I love your boldness for the Lord. And, I, you know, and I'll, tell you what's, I'll tell you what strikes me a lot is when I see your work, there's a real boldness about how you go about your work. And you know that just goes right along with the boldness that you have for Christ. And those two things to me are just spectacular. Just fantastic. Thank you. Well, um, it, it's been a work in progress, but um, frankly, I'm having the time of my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, I'll tell you what, it's, you know, Scripture says that you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when you have such a desire for the Lord, your desires become his. And then you're, you're right in the place that you're at where you're having Amen. the time of your life. Amen. That, that is fantastic, Deb. Well, let's start here. Because we want to get to know you a little better. So let's start with your personal background, you know, where you were raised, family interests, those kinds of things. And then we'll transition to the, the big question that starts every podcast, and that is, how did you come to know the Lord? All right. Well, a little bit of family background. Um, I, I am married to a wonderful um, gentleman who became my sweetheart in college. We were both art students. So Bill and I... Um, graduated from the same college. We both got uh, BFAs and with teaching certification, and we were both school teachers um, in the same county <laughs> um, for all of our teaching careers. And uh, we also have a lovely daughter, um, Molly, who uh, lives in the same town. 
and I praise God every day for that. And we have an amazing son-in-law, Byron, who has his own business, a plumbing business. He's a master plumber and an adorable, and I underline, repeat, an exclamation mark with capital letters, um, (laughs) an adopted um, grandson from South Korea who's um, approaching three years old, and he is the light of our lives. His name is KJ. So I have this wonderful little immediate family. We live out in the country and that is not an understatement. Um, we do live on the west coast of uh, Florida, which is kind of surprising to some people when they realize that I am a equine and western artist. But yes, there are cowboys in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> um, I'm originally from um, Connecticut, believe it or not. And my parents relocated, dragging three children with them, um, all under the age of eight to Boca Raton. So I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. And then that's of course where I went to college and met my husband. Um, so that in the whole college story and all that in and of itself is, you know, a God thing too. Mm. Tell us about that, that story, Deb. I love those stories. (laughs) Well, um, and that that leads right into my walk of faith as well. Uh, oh, my, good. So this um this is really interesting because I didn't really have an awareness of of faith or God other than when my mom would take us to Catholic church and it was a more of a ritualistic and beautiful experience. You know, the stained glass windows and and priests in robes and um. I, I really didn't have a personal experience with God other than just being in wonder. Um, my dad was um, not a Catholic. He was a Congregationalist, never went to church, um, except for the required um, Christmas service that my mom made a fuss over. Mm-hmm. And um, so that coupled with the fact that um, I had kind of a unhappy childhood in that the two brothers that I had were family favorites and I was pretty much a black sheep of the family. I was quiet. I was artistic, um, very introverted. And I was pretty much, um, as hard as it is to say out loud, um, I knew I was rejected by my mom. And that's, you know, over the years, as you, you know, mature as an adult and you hear about other people having dysfunctional families, you go, Oh, that's, you know, that's terrible. That's horrible. But then when you grow up and realize, well, your family was pretty dysfunctional too, Deb. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then, then you go, oh, that's, you know, God used all that. So, you know, an encouragement to people who think that their family life was, you know, they tried to put sweep it onto the rug or whatever. It truly can be used by God and is used by God when you surrender. So by the time I was 18 years old, I had been a really good student in school, um, but was always put down, was always um, verbally and sometimes physically abused, but mostly verbally abused at home. And I had started working um, at age 15 to start raising money so I could get out of the house. (laughs) And I was a, a waitress. As, as much as I could go to work and go to school, that's pretty much what I did. And, um, I remember standing at my dresser one day in my in my room, and um, I was 18. And I, at that point, I had just said, you know, I can't take the abuse. I'm working my little brain out at school, and I'm working myself to the bone trying to raise money. And what is this all leading to? You know, what mm-hmm. what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And I was um, 
somehow, some way, I was given, uh, and I used to live in the library, so it's kind of funny to hear I am in the library right now. Um, <laughs> but I used to, <laughs> I used to literally live in the library when I wasn't um, waitressing or at school. I would just go to the library on weekends, and so I must have either picked it up there in the used book section or somebody handed it to me. I can't remember, but I got a hold of this little book called um, From Prison to Praise by Carruthers. And I remember standing there at my dresser, just kind of leafing through and then went to a particular section. And um, he explained in just very clear terms how his mixed up crazy life was transformed um, when he met Jesus Christ personally and how that journey took him from desperation to joy. And I said, uh, if there's anything I need right now is I need joy. I need, mm-hmm. I need in my life purpose. I need to understand that I am here for a reason and that there's more to life than what I'm going through right now. And so I gave my life to Christ. And I need to tell you, um, that moment is forever in my mind. And what happened at that point um, transformed me. Because I realized at that moment that my life had worth. And I had never before thought that my life had worth to anybody. And so it was an exciting time. And being just turned 18, I graduated from high school, 17, just turned 18, um, good student. Um, One of the things that I really desperately wanted to do was go to college. Nobody else in my family had ever graduated from college. And so I had told my family um, that I wanted to go to the Florida Atlantic University, which is in my hometown there, um, which was an upper division university at that time, and um, take a test that they were offering to high school, just graduating high school seniors. I think they only did it one or two years. And it was an eight-hour college-level entrance placement exam. Um, And you just had to go in there and just sit down at the desk and take it. So I signed up for it. My mom laughed just laughed at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, so I went and took this test. And, you know, when you're done, they say, we'll notify you within a week of your results. And so I rode my 10 speed bike back home, because that's how I got my transportation was a 10 speed. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in a, within a week, I got a letter and it said, um, you know, thank you for taking the test. You've missed the entrance by two points and my mom just got the greatest joy out of that just you know you're a failure blah 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 blah. um just laughed and i was horrified i thought lord you know this is the first thing i've really trusted you for to just i trust you i just i can't understand (laughs) i don't (laughs) understand and uh i think one of the things that the lord gave me is and i know people have told me over the years that i have um uh, a stick-to-itiveness <laughs> and a little bit of a persistent personality. So I, without telling my mom, I took my portfolio and I stuffed it in the back of the little trailer I had. I'd stuck onto my 10-speed bike and I rode my bicycle back <laughs> that next wow. week to the university and marched my little self up to the third floor of the art department and met the secretary, dear Mrs. Parks, and said, um, I would like to make an appointment with the dean of the <laughs> fine arts department. <laughs> so I don't know where this moxie came from. I am persistent, but I am incredibly shy. 
And um, she said, she just kind of spluttered. And she said, well, uh, I'd, um, we'll have to make an appointment. And out from the office door right next to her desk, this head pops out and it's, it's the dean. <laughs> and he, he said, um, don't worry, she can come in right now. We'll, we'll just have a little visit. And so I said, thank you. And um, took my portfolio. My knees were shaking. Took my portfolio in, sat down across the desk from him. He took my portfolio. He quietly looked through. You know, in that, when somebody looks at your art for the first time and you're just. Ugh. So he's quietly looking through my art, making a few comments here and there. And he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to come to this university. I want to get a fine arts degree. And um, I want to be an artist because I've always wanted to be an artist. Oh, and yeah. he said, well, he said, tell you what, uh, let me think about this. Um, uh, you can take your portfolio with you and I'll let you know in a few days what what's going on. You know, if we can even, you know, we'll just let you know in a few days. I said, okay, I really appreciate you taking time to see me. Uh, it was Mr. Dorn was his name. And so I took my portfolio, went back home. You know, went to work at my waitressing job and just mm -hmm. the back of my mind. And within four days, there was a letter from Florida Atlantic University. And it said, congratulations, welcome to Florida Atlantic University as an incoming junior. Um, registration starts July, whatever, whatever. And um, you are now a member of the fine arts department. And oh, I, that's so great. I flipped out. And I've got to tell you, when I've told that story to students that I've taught over the years about not giving up on a dream, mm -hmm. um, some students have cried. And, you know, I usually choke up when I share this story, too, because you could tell it gives them a little bit of hope. <laughs> you know, there is hope. Yeah. So sure enough, um, I entered that university as a you know, goofy 18 year old just graduated kid. And there's, you know, 21, 23, you know, 30 year old people there. And um, there's <laughs> right, right my little 10 speed of class. And um, my mom couldn't believe it. She just couldn't believe it. And she oh. would make fun, fun of me, to, you know, going to school and all that. But I was persistent. And uh, that's I met my husband um, in life drawing class. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we became good friends first and um, then sweethearts and uh, graduated two years later um, and got married the day after. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, and then uh, moved over to the West Coast over here to um, uh, Sarasota, Venice area. And both of us, like I said, were became teachers um, in the county school system, which has been a joy. And in the summers, I would paint as much as I could get myself motivated to paint after decompressing from teaching mm -hmm. <laughs> all year long. So I told my husband it was always my dream to be a full-time artist when I did, whenever the Lord moved me to stop teaching and when that time would be over, that a new time of refreshing in my, in, through my art would begin. And he was like, um, you mean we're not going to travel? <laughs> 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 no, honey, I'm going to be a full-time artist. Because <laughs> that's what God's put on my heart and he totally gets it. So that's... Um, that's pretty much where I am with my arts and my art business. And that has been just a, just a journey of exploration and joy and fun in and of itself. Wow. You know, there is so much there. I love 
I'll tell you the one th- the thing that struck me first of all, you started talking about prison to praise, and a, an artist that I was the first real artist I ever met was a guy named Tom Lorimer, and Tom gave us that same little book. This is many years ago. He had really struggled with his faith. And that little book was instrumental in bringing him back to a really strong faith with the Lord. And it's Amen. just a, it's just a fantastic book. So I just, it gets me all excited just hearing that that was used in your life as well, because it has so many wonderful things in there about, just as you said, uh, you know, giving the idea that there's purpose in your life uh, mm-hmm. that, and that the Lord has is really doing things, wants to do things through you. Yeah. And then to have you understand that your background, all those things he permitted, even though um, they weren't nice things, they weren't happy things, um, all those things were used. Nothing, you know, is not used for my glory, for his glory and for my good. And such, such a wonderful testimony to his faithfulness because um, that faithfulness is, turned around and, you know, turned me into who I am today. I'm, I'm just forever grateful for that, for all of it. Yeah. And, you know, I love that when you, I think you gave such a wonderful word of encouragement to the, to every, all the disciples that are listening, that no matter, you know, no matter what the dysfunctional family situation was, no matter what it is, it's just exactly what you said. The Lord's going to use it to his glory for your good. Amen. And boy, how do you, you know, there's, we, we need to be reminded of that because everything can just drag us down otherwise. And I'll tell you the other thing that strikes me is you talk about your persistence. You know, it's, this is first Corinthians chapter four, verse two. It says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Amen. And, and the whole purpose there is the fact that it's exactly what you're talking about. You had this call of the Lord. You knew this is where you were headed. And you were going to, you were faithful to just pursuing after what he has given you. And that, if there's anything in the arts that you really have to be, that is that persistence and be faithful to his calling, no matter how many obstacles, struggles, all the rest of it come along. And I love that story of you going to the college. (laughs) Oh man, that's just fantastic. Well, and the thing is, discouragement is, can be, harder for some people than others but it, it still is a um it's something that the lord uses in your life because if you wallow in discouragement then you're you're obviously looking at yourself and at your own life and not looking up and what the lord is calling you to do is to get out of yourself and to get, give up the control and to put him back on the throne where he belonged in the first place. And when that happens, when when he truly is on the throne, then anything and everything is an opportunity for him to show his glory in that situation. It just gives you boldness. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, being able to have him on the throne and and just having that kind of trust it's that's really a great perspective it's of course a biblical perspective but boy that's that could be such a struggle but you're dead right that's what needs to happen and we have to make that choice to get ourselves out of the way get jesus Mm -hmm. back where he belongs amen boy oh that is such an encouragement what a fantastic uh what a bunch of of really fantastic uh insights you've given us here um you know as you've gone through all of this now when you came to know the lord was there anything that really radically changed in you or has it been more of a 
a step-by-step kind of a maturity, you know, you know, as you become, you're sanctified, you're growing in the Lord in that. How has that all worked? How's the Holy Spirit worked in your life on that front? Well, I think what one of the primary things that happened is um, I realized that I, I didn't know very much. <laughs> and after my husband and I moved over to this coast um, and I had been witnessing to him left and right in my feeble way that I could, you know, mm-hmm. I was in the word, but certainly not, I had not been discipled. Um, I told him, you know, um, I, I'm going to start going to a church and I, I found a beautiful little Bible church in, in our town that we lived in. And it literally was a, just the, the perfect church for me. And um, I said, I, I really feel like you need to come to church with us. You just need to come to church with me and you're going to love it. You're going to love the pastor. And he, you know, he finally, you know, said, if you would just stop, I'll just go to church <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just stop. And I didn't think I was, I mean, you know, I am persistent, but <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, he, he, you know, the, <laughs> Walked in the church. We sat down, you know, near the back because he didn't want to be too close. And you know what? The, of course, he got saved the first time he heard the gospel. And he, of course, he got saved. <laughs> and um, and then you know we got into discipleship classes. And you know, remember the navigator courses? Yes, we took I do. Na- yes, so we took um, scripture memory courses together, and um, it just and then it, from then on we started. Um, as we were growing in the faith and making friends in the church, we started having Bible study groups at our house with young marrieds. And um, we called them koinonia groups back then. And then they were fellowship group. Well, it's just, you know, it was just a wonderful, rich time of growing in faith together and seeing what God was doing with all these young people who were being discipled at the same time. Just, just a beautiful time of growth and um, fellowship together. And through, um, through that time of learning, it helped me see that God can use again the past um, to minister to others but um, as he's teaching you that that youthful what I don't care how old you are but that that youthful first love um, mm-hmm. is just such a time of joy and um, when you are in love with the Lord like that um, it's just uh, it just it's contagious. So we we made a lot of new friends and those and the people, of course, who are friends to this day. Um, but we also did ministry in in ways that I you know I never would have been bold enough to do um, as a as a young person. You know, of course, without the Lord. So great times of growth um, during that time. I also went back and got my master's degree in. Um, educational leadership. I was doing consulting work as I was teaching. Um, We had our daughter. Uh, Went through some ups and downs in our marriage because no marriage is uh, uh, an easy time anyway. It's marriage is hard work. Mm -hmm. And um, through, you know, the just the faithfulness of God came out the other side stronger and better. Um, And, you know, our daughter, uh, praise the Lord. She and her husband are both believers. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that, well, that <laughs> there's nothing yeah. sweeter than nothing sweeter than praying with your child. 
nothing nothing is sweeter maybe well, other than praying with your grandchild maybe <laughs> um but seriously the the faithfulness of god uh is just been um you know it can bring you to tears because he when you ask him to to walk before you proverbs 3 5 and 6 is you know one of my life verses um mm. when when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, he will direct your path. And um, he walks before us. And that I just love that, that he walks before me. So there's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing that he hasn't prepared for me. And um, that gives you kind of a, a, a confidence in yes. where, where he has you going. Yes. Boy, what a great picture you just painted there of Proverbs uh, chapter three, uh, where you've got the Lord going before you. And then because he has, it does, it takes, it takes away the fear. It gives you mm -hmm. uh, the faith to walk forward in that and in what he has for you, because he's gone before you. Amen. Yeah. Oh, that's, that was a, that's a great image. And now you brought up something, I think that's really important, you know, in, in uh, Revelation chapter two, uh, the, to the church of Ephesus, Jesus says something there. And the, the angel says to the church of Ephesus, you, I, I have one thing against you that you've abandoned the love that you had at oh, first. First love. Amen. And how is it now you talked about this and I think you, it's, I, I'm so excited. You, you and your husband would, he gets saved, which is just the best, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you really sounds like you jumped right into to getting into the word and then also into a ministry. And you talked about it having you had that, you know, that first love kind of of passion for Christ. Amen. But I, I don't see that it, when I hear you talk and I see how you what you you know, what you post and write and different things like that. To have that first love uh you know, just fire for Jesus. It, well, okay. So here's the thing. I, I don't believe it's an accident that, that Kurt Matson, that Deb Herbert, that, you know, uh, Kinsey, uh, any, anybody at this time is, is alive by accident at this time. I mean, we are here for a purpose. We are here for an appointed time. And, I truly believe that because God placed us here at this time in history, and I think we are in the last days, I think if we don't live without that that love and excitement for the purpose Christ has set before us, then we're missing the mark and and you know, heaven forbid that we would even grieve the Holy Spirit by not doing what he's called us to do. So that kind of gives you a... Um, a kind of a sense of a, abandon <laughs> um, that you, you just kind of toss aside the things that would normally encumber your conversation or your, your written word, your, your prayerful attitude. And you just kind of toss it to the wind and say, okay, what's happening today, Lord? <laughs> and let's, <laughs> let's see what you're going to do. And sure enough, he does something with it. And because there is no wasted moment if it's given to God. Mm, that's, that is right. That's, you know, I love what you just said there on so many different fronts, because I'm with you. 
I think the Lord's coming. He can be, you know, we're we're to live with that idea of imminence of his end return anyway. But you know, everything around us is sure pointing to, and it's just what scripture says, we're closer now than when we first believed, and man, things are moving fast. They are moving of, very fast. <laughs> oh, it's remarkable. And you know, what you just said in terms of that uh that first love and the fire that you have and why, and the idea that we are put here just as Esther was for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And then Amen. being able to be uh, just cast everything to the wind because we got nothing to lose. And the bottom line is there's a whole lost world out there that needs to hear of Christ and to be able to, if you're out for him more, you're going to see Jesus moving for that builds the fire in your heart for him and your love for him more because you because of everything that he's doing in and through you. Amen. And, and that's the thing with, especially with artists that one of the things we get to do when we have a conversation about our art with anybody that we come across and they, cause everybody loves the story behind the art, the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if there's somebody who's a collector, then the why is even more important because they share that with others. Um, I bought this piece because this is what the artist said about it. And this is what was important to the artist. And I was captivated by that. Well, the thing is, um, when I, when I share the story and especially with my equine and Western art, when I talk about how, um, I'm convinced because of the, 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 the testimony of scripture that the horses in heaven are um, so glorious that the horses here on earth just give me great joy when I paint them. And I know I'm going to be riding one of those horses one day in glory. Um, that, that makes the people I'm talking to just light up. They get so excited. And I'm like, well, it's truth. <laughs> it's not just the story. It's truth. And so when I even write that now, my social media, and I kind of share those things, those ideas, um, like you said, it, I have nothing to lose and, and only glory to give God. And what he does with it is up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is um, truly the story that uh, in, in each one of our works of art that creates that that excitement when the story's connected to the Lord. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know that, and that is such an important component, what you just uh, pointed out, Deb, uh, this idea of being able to relate these stories because, you know, there's a reason Jesus told parables and it's because we are story being so, and you look at the Bible and it is truly a work of art. When you look at the different literary types, all of that, mm-hmm. and how much of it is narrative, you know, whether you're looking at the gospels of the new Testament, or if you go back into the old and there's so much narrative involved there. Now, mm-hmm. when you, you brought us something I think is really key and it's something that we can struggle with as artists. And it, again, this is sort of genre neutral. It doesn't matter if we're a musician or a fine artist or writer, anything in between uh, is that, when you get a chance to talk to somebody, we can sometimes be hesitant to share the scriptural basis behind, this is why I do what I do. If the Mm -hmm. Lord opens a door, that kind of thing. How do you take that? If something rises up inside of you, how have you been able to overcome that and be, have the boldness that you have in the moment, so to speak? 
Well, it's, it's, it's a lot easier when you're around horse people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Only because we're all just such nutcases, you know, about about our horses anyway. Um, You know, and dog people are crazy about their dogs too. Um, And the thing is, um, I think because uh, when I'm, paint for example i just was at a three-day show at a wonderful facility literally a rock's throw from my house um a a beautiful um three-day eventing and dressage um show uh, four-star eventing fei level dressage it was just glorious and i was painting um because i love painting live when i'm at a show i don't care if it's an indoor show or an outdoor show i just love painting and of course that's a conversation starter and um, people will come up and start talking and they ask, you know, how long I've been painting or, you know, what motivates me. And I'll say, you know, I really believe God gave me um, artists as my gift. And I said, you know, he tells us to lead a quiet life and work with our hands. I said, and, and so we're all we're all called to do something. Some people do, you know, whatever, and I'll say a couple things and they say, oh yeah, well I do, blah, blah. Go, That's right. Well, you're, you know, you're doing what God's called you to do. And I do it because it's an exercise of my faith. It's what I feel like I'm called to do. And I feel so spiritually connected to horses because I know one day um, that there's going to be a, a, a wonderful moment when I'm going to be riding horses in heaven. And then, you know, if they, if they're a believer, they just light up like candles. And if they're not, they're, they can often be curious. Um, so, you know, it's an opportunity to, to have a, a conversation. And whenever you have a conversation with somebody about art, whether they are interested in your art as a, as a collector, or they just want to, they're curious. They just want to talk about your art and what you do. Um, that's a, um, that, that meeting wasn't by chance mm. at all. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't by chance, then, you know, if the Lord directs a, a little bit of a conversation that reflects uh, on his word or his creation, his handiwork, then I'm going to try to try to use that moment for his, his glory. It's, it isn't always easy. Sometimes the, uh, a person will, you know, just ask a technical question or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but I, I had, <laughs> it was the cutest thing. I had uh, some children that would keep coming back to my booth this last weekend. And they were there for two or three days. You know, the parents were coming back for different events and watching and this and that. And they would keep coming back and looking at my art and talking to me. And I thought, this is just so much fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, I may be getting some commission work out of it with their ponies and this and that and the other, but it was a time to share love, you know, um, love of art, love of horses, just fun conversations. And um, that to to me, it was just as motivating for me because artists can be pretty isolated Mm -hmm. in our, in our studios doing our work. So it was, uh, it's great joy to share the stories and, and, the the whys and the and the, even sometimes the technical aspects of what I do. Well, you know, you made a you had a great phrase there. You're sharing love, and as these people are coming up, and I love that you're 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 working live right there. I think it's for so many reasons. It's so good for any of us when we go to shows where that's a possibility mm-hmm. to take advantage of it because of exactly what you pointed out, and that is it's a relationship starter 
mm-hmm. with these people who are coming, and who knows what the Lord will do with that. Uh, but you Amen. know, you're, you're sharing His love, like with those kids, and who mm-hmm. knows where it'll go. But to be able to view it that way uh, is it will help us relax because. If we can feel a little tense, oh, I don't know if I should say anything. If we know we're sharing his love through that conversation and bringing him into it, it'll mm-hmm. give us a bit more of uh, confidence and kind of take our own fears back a little bit and let us rely more on the words of the Holy Spirit and on what he wants to do with all of this. Amen. Amen. That That's just fantastic. I love everything you said there. And it is, I'll tell you, it's just such an encouragement, too, that you are out there. And which is hard. I know exactly, you know, it can be so difficult to work in front of people. I had to get over that years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, but once you do, I had lived very fear. I grew up with horses, not people. And so people mm-hmm. kind of spooked me a lot. <laughs> and it took for years, I'd go to art shows and I couldn't talk to anybody. I was petrified. Oh, was, Kurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Wendy and I first, well, I'll tell you a little story. This, when we were, we were at a show at a gallery, I was showing up in Los Lewis. This is back in the mid 80s, late 80s, I should say. Anyway, we went up there and there was a party going on in the, at the gallery owner's home just for the artists. And I was so scared I wouldn't go in. Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, I can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, yeah. You, you've overcome <laughs> that and you're yeah. out there. It's one of the best things that can happen. Okay. Now here's the other part. Now I told you early on that I'm an introvert and I truly yes. am. When um, the, the, the funny thing is if you put me in a party situation, I'm going to be the person that's behind the table helping servers, you know, serve cookie and cake and and punch because I don't want to be out there talking small talk with people. Um, (laughs) It's the funniest thing. But if you put me with a paintbrush in my hand or you put me on a podium and lecture about art or whatever, art history or aesthetics or criticism or whatever, or, you know, you have me teaching teachers. I used to teach teacher institutes and coordinate them and direct two week seminars and all this kind of stuff. I used to go do consulting jobs. It was a whole different thing because I had a comfort zone with this type of stuff, but you put me in a social situation. (laughs) (laughs) So I still struggle with that brother, but um, it's gotten a little bit better over the years. (laughs) Well, I sure love what you're doing there because I think it's one of the wisest thing an artist can do because of what you said. You're, you're starting these relationships and Mm -hmm. it does let us come out and be able to be to, you know, and it's always a step-by-step process uh, as the Lord grows us. But then to be able to be to be building on what he's doing in our lives and to be able to touch somebody else in some way through your art. And yeah. that leads to these conversations. So that's just fantastic, Deb. Uh, really good <laughs> stuff there. You know, you moved. You said you always wanted to be an artist. I'm real interested about this. And just how did the Lord, because you do, you know, you've got your equine animal subject matter. And that's kind of where you, you, know, you can paint just about anything. You've got a, quite a variety, <laughs> but that's kind of where you've ended up. How how did you how did this develop where you ended up moving towards equine subjects and you also specialize you do a lot of stuff in terms of the Florida Cracker Cowboy and tell yes. us about how that happened as well. Well, um, as a child, when that introverted little girl, I was always reading, and the one thing my grandparents and aunts and stuff would do is send me all the little books that I fell in love with. So I grew up reading the Marguerite Henry books and the Walter Far. I actually met Walter Farley. 
um, oh, wow. Walter Farley books. Yeah, he actually was um, at, talking to me about illustrating for him. And then um, sadly, he passed. But I met him at when I was doing a show at a mall once. So he's just the sweetest man. But the, I, I always loved horses. I just had this amazing um just affinity to everything about them. And then as I started exploring different artists, I fell in love with Degas mm. and his racehorses and the, the, mm. the beauty of his work and then his ballerinas. And so I just kind of fell in love with the Impressionists. I fell in love with um, um, actually the Baroque. We would um, come over to this coast and visit the Ringling Museum. I th- we actually, I think went as a family once because um, – it was like one of our family vacation things. And I went crazy over the Rubens and um, so, and many other wonderful pieces in that, in that museum. And uh, so I just kind of was smitten with the idea of horses in general, um, but action horses in action. Mm. Um, and I guess that's why I was so struck by the ballerinas because even though they may have been captured by Degas with, um, with a, a singularly still pose, you know, a tying a shoe or a, a foot up on a bar, it was still a very dynamic pose. Yes. And so the idea of strong diagonal lines have always appealed to me. Um, so when I would be painting on my own, aside from teaching, I was at first drawn to, you know, racehorses, um, duh. Um, but then also to, um, sports, to football and, um, tennis players and just all that strong action. And, um, but I just kept going back to the horses. So at, at one point in my life, my husband and I moved to um, a, a house that had uh, a quarter, an acre and a quarter, and just enough land to put a little tiny two stall barn <laughs> on. Mm-hmm. And I and I asked my, can I have a horse? Can I? Do you do you think it's? And sure enough, I got a horse. Well, that was it. So um, Daisy. She was a half Morgan Appaloosa. She's the, like the be, you know, your first horse is always the best horse you've ever had. And she was, I would just hop on her and we would go. And uh, so that got me involved with understanding anatomy in a whole new personal way mm-hmm. and understanding the horse um, just not from afar. I mean, I used to go to polo matches with my grandmother in, in Boca and watch the polo games. And that just made me crazy excited because all that action, all those dynamic lines. Um, but then having your own horse. And then my second horse, I would jump a little. And then I got into dressage and, you know, I became obsessed. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then we moved out. Um, we've been in the uh, out here in East country in farmland, actually ranch land. Um, and we are surrounded by conservation land um, in an area called uh, Mayaka, Mayaka State Park area. And across the road from me is a conservation um, piece of property that used to be, it's still a working ranch, but it's a just beautiful uh, Florida grasslands and hammocks and grazing lands. And then a little farther east, there's quite a few um, working ranches. And of course, that beautiful equine facility. And so I've been out all over that place and all over um, these ranches. And I have been um, astounded by the history of ranching and um, 
cattle work in the state of Florida for uh, for many reasons. One, because Florida was actually the first cattle state, cattle producing um, state where we had cowboys of every ethnicity, Seminole Indians and African-Americans and uh, white settlers and, um, you know, the Hispanics all come to find these cows and work them that originated from the original herd of seven that Ponce de Leon brought to Florida way back. And so there was one bull and six cows that came from Spain. And we're left here in Florida. And that became the foundation herd for the cracker um, cows and all the history that goes with the Florida cracker cowboys. And so I'm just, uh, I feel almost a, um, a responsibility to documenting that lifestyle, the day working cowboys, the generational ranchers that have had ranches here for, you know, a couple hundred years um, because it, as you know, ranching and cow work and the cowboy lifestyle is, is disappearing quickly, no matter what part of the country you're in. Um, it's, it's, we owe so much to our, our cattle ranchers and our livestock producers and our farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, without them, I just hate to hate to think of what our, our life would be like, but I am so appreciative of that lifestyle and that hard work and the amazing um, conservation that goes along with that, how they take care mm-hmm. of the land, because if they don't take care of the land, they don't have the ability to raise healthy animals um, and do the work that they do. So I have been doing quite a bit more of the Florida um, cowboy work and um, happy to say I'm a member of the Cowgirl Artists of America, a brand new uh, association for uh, artists, women artists who are cowgirl artists. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. And um, as and sharing uh, that Florida landscape in a in a unique way. So that's that's a lot of fun. And of course, all my equine art is you know it doesn't matter the breed. I, I love horses. There you go. Well, you know, just so you know, Devin, I'm sure you need me to to tell you this. But if you love horses, it's a sign of genius. Uh, so, like you know, <laughs> you know, just so you know, <laughs> and yeah, and you know what? I'm particularly smitten, and here I am with my little crusader hat on now, um, with the <laughs> wild horses of the West. And although I, you know, don't travel because I have my little herd here, and you know how hard it is to leave your horses with somebody else. It's yep. just, it's nearly impossible to do. So I've developed some friendships with some wild horse photographers out West. And I need to tell you, those people are phenomenal. They not only document and um, research and uh, photograph these wild horses, but they know family lines and they are uh, political advocates for uh, preserving these icons of the American West. And, you know, it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. So some of these photographers have allowed me to um, use their photos as jumping off points for my work. So I have done quite a number of wild horses and I donate to um, wild horse advocacy groups and to sanctuaries. Um, Mm. When I sell some work, so I, I donate a portion of my proceeds to those causes. Um, because I think it's such important work. People really don't understand um, when 
the the beauty and the the symbolism of an American wild horse until they've actually spent some time, you know, looking at them and watching them. And uh, to me, I'm just it's just like to me, it's like the American eagle. When the American eagle was endangered from DDT and the eagle started not having viable eggs, all of a sudden the public woke up and said, oh, we need to get rid of the DDT. We need to protect the American eagle. Same mm-hmm. thing needs to happen with the American wild horses. Yeah. No, you know, there's just it, it's really true. And it is the, these horses are so iconic. So that is just fantastic. I, I love your passion for them and, and for the for the horse and all the rest of it. That's just great. Now, Thank I you. want you to, to explain for those, for some of the listeners, you know, some of these disciples that don't know about cowboy stuff. What are a few of the distinctives about a Florida cracker cowboy that make them <laughs> unique? Well, one of the things is um, that the working dogs that work with them, the Florida uh, blackmouth cur dogs, uh, the dogs are a really important part of the um, the herding process. They're trained so amazingly well. Uh, the Florida cracker cowboys have uh, a lot of them ride these um, very uh, adapted horses, the cracker horses, because uh, there were horses left here also, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, have a whip that they always ride with and the the legend goes that when they would crack their whips um they would be called crackers and Uh so the florida cracker cowboys that name is related to their long whips that they would crack and um you move their move the herds out their dogs would follow along and get the herds uh, out of the marshes and out of the swamplands and the the hammocks um so cracker cowboys are the cowboys that are those that have, um, they literally ride their horses through swamps and through uh, oak uh, stands and through mangroves and through hammocks. And they are probably some of the toughest breeds of cowboy out there. They gotta be, you know, I can, I'm thinking about it. I've only been, I went to Florida once when I was running a thoroughbred outfit up in Northern California. And I went to uh, Ocala to look at studs. This is back, and I went over Fourth of July weekend. I can remember flying in. It was raining, and I thought, oh, it's going to be nice. I'm coming from the Central Valley of California. I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, it's going to be nice and cool, and it was like 90 degrees and 100% humidity, and it was, oh, man. And so you you think about out there jousting these old cows out of those swamps out of that country. And, boy, howdy, yeah, you you know, that's – it ain't for sissies. No, it isn't. And, you know, the um, Florida terrain is as different as it can be. There's – you know, we've got some – some beautiful high ground and we've got the you know very much wetlands and everything in between and um and it all changes season to season Mm. so one season it could be very very wet and then six months later it's dry as a bone so these these cowboys and their horses and their and their dogs uh, these ranchers are very versatile and at the same time very aware of um the vitality of of their ranches there's a very wonderful conservation movement in Florida to um, preserve a whole central area of Florida, which is, um, you know, protected mm. in many ways. And it's, um, it's beautiful. Panther and bear and, um, you know, of course, all the hundreds of bird species and um, 
Oh, just, it's just, it's just very diverse and beautiful. Boy, it sounds like it, you know, and of course, if it's east, it's, I don't know anything east of Texas. So it's like when you're describing all of this in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you don't think about those things. So uh, it's wonderful. Now, everybody, you're... everybody thinks about Disney World. <laughs> I, well, you know, there is that. Read a lot in terms of the, the Cracker Cowboys and stuff. But I haven't, I've never, of course, been back in that country enough to know that much about it. So hearing everything you're describing, it just, it brings up, brings these images to, to mind that mm-hmm. uh, really kind of tell you a little bit about because, you know, Cowboys distinctive all through the West, let alone going into Florida. It's a whole different world there. It is. And so I love that your art and that one of the things that you're doing is capturing that piece of our history. Uh, it's a really important thing to do. So that's uh, it's, it's great. And I appreciate you explaining uh, some of those differences. Well, thank you. It's important stuff. Like you said, it's history. Well, and living history. It is. And, you know, that's part of the, the calling that the Lord's given you is to be able to do that and to tell stories that most people will never have any idea about. But then you're able to put that in front of them and mm-hmm. what the Lord's done in these guys' lives and the beauty of, of, uh, of what's going on there. It's, it's, uh, it's important work. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, for you, as you go along in your career, as you go along with your work and with your walk with the Lord, what are some disciplines, some spiritual disciplines that you find really help grow you closer to Christ? Well, the first thing, and, you know, I can't say I've been as disciplined about it my whole life, especially, um, you know, I, getting up at five in the morning, being in the classroom door at 645, 630. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the discipline of, of reading early in the morning and being in the word um, is probably the most important thing, um, spending quality time in the word and then in prayer. Um, and so that to me is first and foremost. Secondly is um, one of the things that really struck me as a, as a young mom um, was the scripture. Um, I will put no evil before my eyes. Mm. And um, so that's when we dumped the TV when our daughter was, um, you know, a toddler, we literally got rid of it for 18, 18, 19, 20, almost 20 years. We got rid of the TV and else. And so she was raised without TV. So what you put before your eyes and what you put in your ears is extremely important. So um, I'm very careful um, now with the time that I do choose to spend um, listening to different things as I try to listen to uplifting podcasts. Thank you, brother. And um, (laughs) also to uh, pastors who are who I consider to be watchmen on the towers, Mm. Um, people who are immersed in what's happening in the world today from a biblical perspective, not people who are there for their own um, selfish reasons. It's pretty easy now as, um, as an older believer, somebody who's been around a while to see some of what's going on and see the transparency of it. Um, when somebody is all about themselves, and of course, you know, you just pass that by. But I'm really enjoying listening to pastors, watchmen on the towers, and and podcasts, and Christian leaders who are sharing the the news of what's going on in the world today from a book of Revelation and a New Testament point of view, and 
that can't help if you're, you know, if you really got your eyes open about what's going on today. And like we talked about earlier, the rapid fire pace that we are um, uh, heading down the path towards um, uh, Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that we, um, those pastors and those preachers and those um, Christian watchmen are really sharing um, important uh shouting from the towers literally what's going on and so if you're if if you're soaking in what's happening on the television and the nightly news you're getting a totally 180 different view of what's really going on and uh, looking at things from a biblical perspective kind of also gives you uh, a sense of urgency uh like we said, you know, what are you going to lose? <laughs> mm-hmm. The days are drawing closer and closer as we, um, before the Lord's return. And that could be at any moment. So I, I, I enjoy the expectation of thinking that it could be any moment. I mean, I really enjoy that. I know like I, it gives you a sense of, of um, excitement when you wake up and go, what could be today? <laughs> it could be today. Lord. Yes, that's right. Uh, and if it's not today, then it could be tomorrow. And so what are you going to have me do for today? Because we don't have much time left. Yeah. Boy, that's that's just excellent. And you're so right. And, you know, I think that's one of the blessings. If these last three years, you know, three years now, you know, or longer in particular, it was going on, of course, for a long time before that. But it seems like people weren't aware as aware of it. But this idea of the, as you said, the churches that are teaching the best life now, just, you know, nice little fluffy, little make uh-huh. you feel better stuff. Instead of, because the whole idea behind scripture, as you know, Ephesians 4.12 is to equip the saints for the work of the work. ministry. Amen. And that's what we're called to. So what you're, everything you're saying there is fantastic. And being able to see the Bible, I mean, it goes back to the, you know, we're living in Bible times. Amen. And we're watching this stuff. So, all of that is just fantastic, and it really does motivate you to want to know Jesus more because you're watching him move in such fantastic ways, ways that even 30 years ago uh, we would not have any idea about. Absolutely. He- Absolutely. When you see what's happened in Europe, when you see what's happened um, you know, in uh Oh, exactly. With what's going on with conflicts around the world today and how yeah. governments have flip-flopping and how there's wars and rumors of wars and all that is going on at breakneck speed. And yep. you know that the, the average Joe on the street has a sense of anxiety. Um, they can't help but have it, especially with everything they're being bombarded with. And we are the ones who can offer hope and a reason for the joy within us. So, um, you know, we're we're the healing balm through the Holy Spirit to give their souls rest. Yeah, boy, that's just so right on, Deb. That is so right. And disciples, let that be what Deb just said, be such an encouragement to you about what the Lord wants to do in this world right now through you. His spirit is working through us. And boy, just to really let her, her words soak in, because that's we all need to remember that, uh, because this is a world that is hurting desperately. Uh-huh. And things are going, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of other things that happen and people want answers. And disciples, you have them if they're right, your, right in the word and you want to spread that. So that's wonderful, Deb. I love that. When you, Thank look you, out, when you look out at the world and you're just everything we've talked about, how would you like to see your work 
influence the world for Christ? That's a great question. Um, the thing is, if if my work in some way somehow reflects his glory through creation, because I've chosen to be a equine and you know landscape artist, Florida mm-hmm. cowboy artist, um, if my work can reflect just a smidgen of the glory of his creation, then you know, job well done, you know. Um, and if it causes people to want to know more um, and to ask about the work and the story um, even more so. So it's not, um, if I've reflected him, that's really all I'm looking to do. Mm, that's that's perfect. That's what we need to do. And, you know, uh, with the struggles that we can have in why does this matter to the Lord, I think that's a wonderful answer because you're, ref- you're just reflecting him out into the world uh, mm-hmm. by what you're doing. That's great. Uh, there's another component to this whole thing. They kind of go together. From your perspective, why does art matter to our in our society, and why why is it good for us to be involved in secular arts? Does it matter the genre? Well, yeah, I think it's interesting that you chose the word secular because I really don't believe there's any secular. And when a Christian's making something, it's never secular. Yep. Um, so the, that I think that in and of itself is it's sanctified. You know, if it's given to him, it's sanctified. Mm. Um, the The idea of art being important is is something that I've always talked about with my students from the from the get go. Um, you know, what is life without art? Well, you know, let's think about that, and then we mm-hmm. talk about everything that is produced commercially has an art component to it. Everything that is arranged in a home has a, a compositional sense to it. Everything that is um, uh, that we wear, everything that we drive, you know, it goes on and on and on. There's mm-hmm. a design aspect to it. Well, if there's a design aspect to everything, who was the first one who thought that up? <laughs> right. And so, as as the Lord is is the you know the great creator. You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And mm-hmm. he was the one who spoke everything into creation and designed it in the garden, you know, put, put it together with his own hands. Um, then I can't imagine a life without art because as a creator, we are made in his image. That means we're creators. Um, so that's why I encourage people who say, well, I can't draw. I said, well, I could teach you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you um, don't want to learn how to draw, I bet you do something else with your hands. Do you bake? Do you sew? Do you, you know, do you organize things in a beautiful way? You're working with your hands, and, you know, then maybe that's what you're called to do. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it makes sense to them. Yes. That's, that's excellent. That's a really wonderful answer. And you know, you, you do, you point out, cause so many people say, as you said, either I can't draw or they'll say, I'm not creative. And uh-huh. yet they have, they're creative in so many ways that, like, I would have no clue about. So, yeah, that's a great way to uh, to point that out and why it why it matters. I think that's fantastic. Now, there's one other thing that I think I w- is important. You now, think about artists who are just you haven't been in the business a long time, that kind of a thing, or they're just starting out. Uh-huh. What are some things that you think they need to know that are important? as they pursue their calling, things that you wish you'd have known, you know, early on? Well, I mean, I think that's, that's, 
that's always a work in progress. When my husband and I took a year off and traveled and did art shows for a year, we actually went to these high-end malls. It was called the Master Artist Tour, and <laughs> you know we went traveled from Florida to Maine and back. And wow, um, yeah, it was it was had a travel trailer, shoved all our art display units in a big van, and off we went. Um, I wish I had known back then that I needed to be able to um, articulate why. I wanted to be an artist. Mm. The why is so important. Um, and, the, and until you get to the why, I don't think you're going to get to the focus of what God's called you to do. So um, I, I finally narrowed it down to um, why do I want to paint every day? Well, I'm excited every time I pick up a paintbrush because um, I think God's called me to create, but then he's called me to create in a, in it, what I am impassioned about. Mm. Um, when I stop, when I stopped painting things that I wasn't excited about, then my painting got better. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, it wasn't as much work and um, I wanted to get better at my craft. So Find out your why, number one, why you want to do this. And then what is it that God has given you excitement about creating? And then once you find that out, get really good at that thing that he's called you to create. So, for example, if my anatomy of my horses is wrong, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so get good at drawing animal get good at drawing horses understand structure and form and and th three-dimensional uh dimension of uh the, all the planes in a horse's face and the curves of their body and same thing with human anatomy um understand your why understand what gives you passion and why and then get good at it so develop time put aside time just for getting practice time in draw every day Mm. work at work at what you do every day so i love it when you take out your sharpie <laughs> because <laughs> you know here's the thing use it or lose it practice your practice your craft because um you can never assume that if you haven't drawn for two or three weeks what comes out of your hand is going to be as good as it was three weeks ago or yeah. you know you have yeah. to just practice just like a golfer practices swing just like a baseball player practices just like all that you have to become um disciplined so young artists often don't think about the discipline of what we do mm. um so the why and then the discipline those that's excellent deb boy i wish i didn't know you know that's something i had to learn real early on and that was uh, those are fantastic words Fantastic words. I love what you said there. Can you realize we're at the almost at the end of the podcast? Good grief, we could be talking for ever. <laughs> this is just fantastic. Um, let's let's do this. Uh, what are you working on right now that you're excited about? Oh wow. Well, um, I'm I'm actually wanting to make some connections now that the weather's trying to cool off a little bit here um, is to get out on some ranches um, and to get some more uh, Cracker Cowboy ranch scenes um, going. Uh, I've got a couple of wild horse paintings that are just a back to the Degas dynamic, you know, that's the strong mm -hmm. diagonals of lines. I just like 
I want to paint them for myself because I just want to paint them. I just, so I know when I want to paint something because I'm so excited about the image that it's something that's got to come out. I mean, I just got to paint it. Um, so I've got a couple of uh, big canvases that I am itching just to paint because I'm so excited about the image of these rearing horses, you know, mm. and uh, so can't wait to do them. And, um, you know, always doing some small pieces just to keep, my hands busy and and uh, keep the keep the skill sets going wow that sounds great oh i love that um what's a final word of encouragement you'll have for those uh, for all the disciples listening uh for the disciples that are listening um keep doing what god has called you to, to do and if you don't know what god has called you to do um talk to a trusted friend who's a believer who might see things in your life that they um see a little clear more clearly than you do sometimes we get in our own little foggy place and and don't see things clearly um so there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors um, mm. godly counselors uh so for for those believers who are um not quite sure if they're doing what god has them to do you know, find out what your gifts are and then um exercise them with joy of, you know, with faithfulness. And then for anybody who doesn't know the Lord, there is no better time than now mm -hmm. um, because the days are growing shorter. Um, so faith in Jesus Christ for his work accomplished on your behalf, that he bought a ticket for you to heaven with his blood, um, that you don't have to be judged in front of the holy and almighty God who can't have anything sinless or stained in his presence that, that Jesus Christ himself went to the cross to be a substitute on your behalf and that faith in him and that work on the cross and the fact that he died and was resurrected and right now sits in heaven um, in the glory of heaven and advocates mm -hmm. on the behalf of, of those who call out on his name um, there's no greater time and no better time than to do it right now. Boy, that's fantastic. I love that. And boy, that's so true, Deb. And anybody who doesn't know the Lord, those are the words. Deb's just given you the gospel. Receive him as Lord. It's the best decision you will ever make. Amen. How could we pray for you? Oh, just, um, well, I appreciate the question. Um, it's just faithfulness that um, my my 20 year old mind and my uh, older gal body <laughs> <laughs> don't always sync up. <laughs> um, so just, you know, faithfulness and that, um, that the Lord would continue to bless with, uh, with, with health and, and, um, and just that I just trust him with everything. Super. All right. Well, disciples, we know how we can pray for Deb and for her husband as well. That's fantastic. How can we keep in touch with you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I love my website. It's uh, it's always a work in progress, but I'm always posting new work. It's debherbertart.com. debherbertart.com. And it's uh, a fun website. And I'm also on social media, Instagram, um, Deb Herbert, and uh, also Facebook. And love to chat with people, too. Super. We'll put all of that information in the show notes so everybody can can uh, get in touch with you. Uh, I know they're going to want to. Boy, I am so grateful you came on the show. Thank you so much for spending this time and for everything you shared. Just packed. Just a packed show. 
and I, uh, I'm just so blessed. Thank you so much, Deb, for all that you shared. Thank you for the joy of uh, talking with you, brother. And listeners, thank you for listening to the podcast as well. And don't forget to share or to give a review or a rating on your favorite platform. What that'll do is it'll help the podcast get found by, by more people. Now, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at The Creator's Calling. The music on the podcast is by Chris Matson, and you can keep in touch with him on Instagram or on YouTube at Chris Matson Worship. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for the Creator's calling. Bye for now. And disciples, thank you for listening to the podcast. Now, don't forget to share, or if you can, give a review or a rating on your favorite platform. What that does is that helps other people find the podcast on that particular platform. Now, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at The Creator's Calling. The music on the podcast is by Chris Matson. You can follow him at Chris Matson Worship at both Instagram and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please, join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for the Creator's calling. Bye for now.